Righteousness and Journalism. I'm going to try to pull these two things together on this episode of the Driving with Rob podcast. Have you ever started a Google search and ended up going down a rabbit trail? And sometimes you go down that rabbit trail for so long, you forget what you're actually looking up in the first place. Well, that was kind of the way my mind was working today, and I thought I'd share it with you. I started out thinking about righteousness and purity and how none of us are good enough or ever will be good enough to be accepted by God based on our own righteousness. That is a Christian doctrine that is pretty much universal among all the Protestants and the Catholics. You can never be good enough, holy enough, righteous enough to stand before a holy God based on your own merit. Some people think they are. Some people think they can, but they can't. And then I ended up thinking about journalists and current modern day journalists. And I don't know, maybe it was this, this idea of self-righteousness that got me to thinking about journalism. But anyway, in the course of this podcast, I'm going to try to tie these two ends together if for no other reason so you can see how my mind works. Okay? Well, the first thing I started thinking about this morning, and I have no idea why I started thinking about this this morning, but I started thinking about the Sermon on the Mount. And don't think for one minute that I wake up every morning thinking about Jesus. (laughs) I don't. Okay. Does that make me a bad person? Well, maybe it does, but (laughs) I don't wake up every morning thinking about the Bible and thinking about Jesus. I probably should, but I don't. Okay. But this particular morning, I didn't wake up thinking about it. I was thinking about it as I was going down the road. I don't know what triggered it. I don't know what thought came across my mind that made me start thinking about the Sermon on the Mount. But let me tell you about the Sermon on the Mount. And, you know, bear with me. If you think I'm preaching to you, maybe it's because you need preaching to. But I'm really not intending to preach at you, I promise. And I will loop this back around to politics and journalism. Completely throwing out the window the old idea that says you never talk about politics or religion. We're going to talk about both today, or I am, anyway. And if you're offended already, sorry. All right, let's get started. Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount was when Jesus actually began his ministry. You know, Jesus lived for 30 years before he started preaching before he got baptized, before he started his ministry and only had like a three-year ministry before the crucifixion, right? So here we find Jesus and the Bible says there is a multitude following him. There are different estimates as to how many people qualify as a multitude, but I would say probably 
a couple thousand people. I would think it would be a couple thousand people. They were following Jesus and listening to his teaching because they'd never heard anything like this before. So Jesus goes up on a mountain or up on a hill so that this group of people can all hear him and see him. He goes up on a mount, on a hill, on a raised piece of ground and starts to teach. Now, if you wanted to find the Sermon on the Mount, if you would like to read this all for yourself, it is Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, right before Mark, right after the Old Testament, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7, is the Sermon on the Mount. Now, the Sermon on the Mount wasn't Jesus giving his followers a new set of instructions. It wasn't Jesus saying, okay, remember the Ten Commandments? We're going to throw those out and start over. No, <laughs> that's not what it was about. But he was teaching something that these people had never heard before. We now call it the gospel, but this is where it started. This is where he started teaching. Well, the very beginning of chapter 5 is what is commonly referred to as the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger after righteousness. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. This is the Beatitudes. This is where the Sermon on the Mount starts. So he's already telling them that you're already blessed if you're meek and humble. You're already blessed if you're one of the people that tries to create peace between arguing groups of people. You're already blessed. He starts out there, right? Then he begins what is commonly referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. And like I said, he wasn't there to start a whole nother group of Ten Commandments. He wasn't there to tell the people, you can forget everything Moses taught you. We got a new game plan. This was not what Jesus was saying. As a matter of fact, in verse 17 of chapter 5 of Matthew, it says, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I have come to fulfill everything you heard in the law of Moses and everything the prophets said. That's what he's telling them. I am the fulfillment of what you've been taught your whole life, what your great-great-great-great-grandfathers were taught their whole lives. I am the fulfillment of what they were taught. It's not a new set of commandments. What I'm here to do is to teach you a new testament, to explain to you why another way had to be made because you people cannot, as people, ever live up to God's standard of righteousness and holiness. No matter how good you are, no matter how well you follow the law of Moses, no matter how much you pray, no matter how much money you give to the church, you are never, ever 
going to be able to, in your own holiness and your own righteousness, stand before a holy, pure, righteous God. You're never going to be good enough. And it's not like I'm not good enough to be on the softball team. It's like if you have a drop of sin in your life, if you were suddenly in the holiness of God, you would just like burst into flame because sin cannot be in the presence of God, period. That's just the way it is. And, you know, I've heard the analogy before, you know, if you uh, take an eyedropper and put one drop of poison in a glass of water, how much of that glass of water is poison now? All of it. You can't have one drop of sin in your life. And this is what Jesus is trying to explain to them. You think you're righteous. You think you're holy. You think you know everything, but you don't. And Jesus was trying to explain it to them. In verse 21 of chapter 5 of Matthew, You have heard it said by them of old time, meaning the oldest person you know has said this and has tried to teach you this. Thou shalt not kill. And you can hear the murmur going through the whole church. Yep, yep, that's right. That's right. Thou shalt not kill. That's right. See, they're all on board with that. They're all on board with that. That's in the Ten Commandments. That's in God's top ten list. Thou shalt not kill. And the reason they agree with it is because I've never killed anybody. Everybody in the everybody within earshot of him was saying, I never killed anybody, I'm safe. Thou shalt not kill. So they were immediately on board to agree with Jesus. Yep, yep, tell it, tell it all. Jesus said, Whosoever is angry with his brother without cause is in danger of judgment. Jesus went on to say that if you know for a fact that your brother is angry with you, don't waste your time bringing offerings to the altar, to the church. Don't bother until you go reconcile and get this anger out of your life. Because if you're angry with somebody, you're guilty of murder. Whole church went quiet. Whole multitude quit talking. You didn't hear, amen, brother, that's right. They all got quiet because they know somebody's mad at them. They know they're mad at somebody. Nobody ever told them, you're just as guilty of murder right now as if you had actually killed them yourself. Nobody ever told them that. And Jesus said, see, this is why you're not good enough. You think you are, but you're not. Then he gets down to adultery in verse 27. Oh, here we go. Here we go. That's right. My friend over there needs to hear this part. <laughs> My cousin needs to hear this part. I know a lot of people need to hear this part because they think Jesus is not about to talk about them. Because they think that Jesus is not going to talk about them. He's talking about adulterers. Yep, off the hook. Yep, Jesus let them have it. It was said of old time, Jesus said, just like he said about murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Yep, 
That's in the top 10. That is in the top 10. God wrote that down for Moses. It was so important. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Jesus said, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you have committed adultery already. Jesus is not giving you permission to go commit adultery. What he's trying to point out to you is that no matter how good and pure and holy you try to live, if you're thinking about it, as far as God's concerned, you're guilty of doing it. And that's what separates you from God. That's why you can't stand in front of a holy, pure, righteous God based on your own righteousness. Because you don't have any. None of you are righteous. None of us are righteous. I'm not righteous. Nobody is. And that's why Jesus had to come. To become a perfect sacrifice for all of humanity. Because nobody could live up to the expectations. Or not even the expectations. The requirement that it would take for you to stand on your own merits in front of a holy God, you would instantaneously be, be burned to a cinder, be burned to ash, nothing left. And that's what Jesus was trying to illustrate, is that you are never going to be pure and holy and righteous enough for God. You're only holy and righteous in your own head. You believe you're right. You believe you're better than everybody else. But you're really not. And there's a word for it. Self-righteousness. Which brings me around to journalism. See, you thought I'd never get there, didn't you? You thought I'd never get there. So if you would like to recompose yourself and regroup... Now would be a perfect opportunity to stop the playback, go have a drink, go to the bathroom, come back and listen to the rest. Now we're going to get into journalism. Here's where my little rabbit trail led me. Because I had thought about the concept that none of us are righteous. And none of us are holy enough to stand in the presence of God. I remembered thinking about that when I started thinking about journalism in general. See, the problem with journalists right now, I believe with all my heart that these people, these journalists, or people who call themselves journalists in the national news media completely 100% believe that they are right. They're right. And somewhere in the back of their minds is this image of Superman standing with his fists against his hips on a mountaintop with the wind blowing his cape in the breeze as they say to themselves, I am fighting for truth, justice, and the American way. They really see themselves as doing the right thing. 
they are doing what's best for the country by not only giving you the news, but by putting their spin on it to tell you how you should feel about the news. And if they selectively tell you certain things, but don't tell you other things, or if they use very judgmental and condemning language when they talk about this person, and then when the other person does basically the same thing and you completely give them a pass and make excuses for them, well, that's okay. Because they believe that they're right. And they believe so wholeheartedly that they're doing the right thing and what is best for the listening public that if they ignore the horrible, terrible things the current president is doing and keep rehashing all the horrible, terrible things that the previous president did, they believe they're doing the right thing. But it's not journalism. It's not journalism. See, journalism, what journalism should be, and as far as I'm concerned, the last journalist died when Walter Cronkite left. Actually, when Walter Cronkite retired. Because even Cronkite said he felt embarrassed over getting emotional when Neil Armstrong walked on the moon. See, now it's happened, what, 50 years ago? Now? More than 50 years ago? See, now we've heard it our whole lives, and it's not that big a deal anymore. But at the time, that was the biggest deal ever. Human beings left Earth and went somewhere else. That was huge. Nothing this big had happened since the explorers sailed across the Atlantic in ships, not knowing what was on the other side. I mean, this was literally throwing caution to the wind. But Walter Cronkite was embarrassed and apologized later for getting emotional over the biggest event in human history because he really was a journalist. He really believed his job was to give you just the facts. It wasn't his job to tell you how to feel about the facts or to tell you what conclusion you should draw from these facts. He just gave you the facts. He just told you what was happening. And felt embarrassed because he got emotional over the moon landing. And it wasn't like he broke down and cried. He just got excited about it. But he was the last journalist. One of the last journalists. You can make the argument for Eric Severide, Roger Mudd. You can make... A similar argument for some of these other journalists, but Walter Cronkite is the first one that comes to mind. Because now it's not about facts. Now it's about agendas and ideologies. I'm only going to report what supports my beliefs. I'm not going to report anything that doesn't support my beliefs, or I'm going to report it in such a way as to at least imply to you that it's wrong. 
because it's not what I believe. See, they believe in their own righteousness and have been convinced of their own righteousness so much, so completely, so thoroughly. They're like the scribes and Pharisees in the time of Jesus. They really are. They're basically the modern-day scribes and Pharisees. They're only going to tell you what they want you to hear. They're only going to write down and report what they think you need to know that furthers their agenda because they believe they're right. And as long as they're right, anything they say is the right thing. And I'm going to paraphrase what Kamala Harris recently said about rebuilding after Hurricane Ian went through Central Florida. What she said, and again, I'm paraphrasing, but there is an actual video clip of her saying it, and you can go listen to her actual words out of her actual mouth. The new Democrat buzzword is equity. So she said equity, but basically what she said was, no white person should receive any money until all the black people are taken care of. That's basically what she said about rebuilding Central Florida after Hurricane Ian was we need to help the black folks first. The black people in Florida. And let me tell you something. I don't mean this as racist as it's going to sound, but there is a very, very, very small percentage of black folks living in Fort Myers, Florida. A very, very small percentage of black folks living on Sanibel Island. There's a very small percentage of middle-class white people. You got to have money to live on Sanibel Island. You got to have money to live in Fort Myers. And I'm sure there are some black people. But the point that I'm trying to make is, she made this statement, which is a completely divisive or divisive, depending on where you went to college. A completely divisive comment to make. She wants to create division between races. She wants to turn this hurricane into a racial issue. But you watch all the national news media outlets. They didn't even replay that clip. That clip came from Fox News. And there was a Republican senator in Florida. And of course, with all this destruction in Florida, they're trying to get federal money and federal relief to come help them rebuild in Central Florida. And he made mention of the fact that how the Vice President of the United States trying to turn this into another excuse for racial division was not helping them. What Margaret Brenneman should have done was played the clip. You mean this clip? Play it. Let him say whatever he wants to say. And then, if you wanted a counter-argument, get somebody to come on from the Democrat side to counter the argument. But Margaret Brenneman herself defended and made excuses for the vice president and says what the vice president really meant Margaret, honey, how do you know that that's what she really meant? It doesn't fit your agenda. And since you, as a Democrat journalist, are 
good and pure and righteous and holy. Your side is right. So you're perfectly justified in covering up and making excuses as if you were the Blumen press secretary yourself. And by the way, I kind of feel sorry for the press secretary, the White House press secretary right now. Really attractive uh, young black woman, but she has to come on there every day and explain to these people. I know that's what he said, but what he meant was, I feel sorry for her. I mean, I really do. Because she has to cover the tracks for all the ignorant stuff that Joe Biden says and all the racist crap that Joe Biden says. Remember when Joe Biden said, if you don't vote for me, you're not really black? See, here's the whole thing with the racial division. I'm just going to touch on it for a minute. If you can get 40% of the white people to vote for you and 90% of the black people to vote for you, then you still win. Joe Biden doesn't care. Kamala Harris doesn't care. Pelosi, the whole Democrat leadership, Schumer, all of them, none of them care about anything other than winning. Because as long as they're winning, they get to stay in power. They get to keep funneling money into these money laundering businesses that you don't know anything about. If you want to find out about them, look up Rosemont Law Firm Biden. So much money is being laundered that's coming in from not just Ukraine. They're getting money from Ukraine. They're getting money from China. They're getting money from South America, Central America. They're getting money from everywhere that you don't know anything about as an American citizen. But because they're right and pure and holy, the news media will not investigate it. The investigative journalists will not investigate Biden or the Biden family. And Joe Biden may be the dirtiest politician since Lyndon Johnson. And see, and even to this day, because Lyndon Johnson was a Democrat, you don't know how dirty Lyndon Johnson was. Do you know there would not have been a Vietnam War? The Vietnam War could have been snuffed out in days. But Lyndon Johnson is quoted as saying, there's video somewhere of him actually saying, war is good for business. Lyndon Johnson and his family and friends were making money off the Vietnam War. That's the reason it had to be escalated. And Joe Biden is the dirtiest president since Lyndon Johnson. The Biden family is making money hand over fist. How do you become a multimillionaire off a $100,000 a year salary? You don't. So where did the money come from? There are so many backdoor deals going on now, it is mind-boggling how much money that not only Biden, but Pelosi and that whole crew is just raking in. And I'm not saying that the Republicans aren't doing it. I'm not saying that the Republicans aren't doing it too. But the Republicans don't have the news media helping cover it all up. If Donald Trump sneezed, they were asking his press secretary, when is he turning power over to Pence? Joe Biden is shaking hands with midair. Joe Biden couldn't park a bicycle. Joe Biden couldn't put his coat on after getting off the helicopter 
and then dropped his sunglasses and needed help picking them up. But the journalists in the mainstream news media are covering up as best they can because they believe that they are good and pure and holy and righteous and they're working toward a righteous cause. Therefore, they're justified in withholding bad news about the Democrats and withholding good news from the Republicans because they're right. They believe it so firmly and so completely that this now is what qualifies as journalism. And it's okay for the journalist to have opinions. You're human, of course you have opinions, but it has no place in news reporting. And it's not journalism. If you put your opinion or your slant into a news story, now it's not a news story. Now it's a commentary. And this is pretty much what we're treated to every day on the national news. is commentary. They could almost start out every newscast, every network national newscast with, here's what we want you to believe today. You're trying to influence people. You're trying to be an influencer. Journalists cannot be influencers. If you're an influencer, you're not a journalist. If you are influencing public opinion, you're not a journalist. When the local New York news has video footage of people being beaten, stabbed, shot on the New York subway system every day, but the story you go with is the mayor says there's nothing to worry about. Our subways are safe. No, they're not. And this is becoming an increasing issue with the midterm elections. Everybody is concerned with the rising crime rate. Why is the crime rate rising? Because the only way you could let the anti-Trump demonstrators get away with what they were doing is blame the cops for brutality. Blame the cops for beating up poor innocent protesters. We're going to blame the cops for everything. Well, the next thing that happened was cops started quitting their jobs. You kept releasing these repeat criminals. Some of them felons because, oh, he couldn't help it because he was black. Oh, he couldn't help it because he grew up poor. Oh, he couldn't help it because he was Hispanic. And you turned them loose. Couldn't hold them accountable for beating, murdering, robbing, looting. You couldn't hold them accountable. And you started telling your police officers not to arrest people. And then you come on the national news media and you say, no, it's not happening. Yeah, it is happening. You just lost all your cops. You ran them all off. And your major cities have descended into lawlessness. And when you poll people now, what is the biggest concern going into the midterm elections? Crime, high crime rate, has surpassed inflation. 
and we still have the highest inflation rate since Jimmy Carter. The highest inflation rate since the 1970s. And remember, we had a recession in 2008. Inflation still wasn't as high as it is now. But when you come on the national media as a quote-unquote journalist and say whatever it is your ideology wants you to say, deny there's inflation, deny that raising interest rates was a boneheaded idea that just made a bad situation worse, raising the price of a gallon of gasoline to 4 and $5 a gallon because you thought it was going to stop global warming, keep putting your spin on it. And these bad things are going to keep happening and keep getting worse because you have stopped being a journalist. You are so convinced that you're right. You believe your opinion and your spin is the news. And it's not. Because you see, just like the Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes in the time of Jesus, you're so convinced that you are right, that your side is right, that your political ideology is right, that you are pure and good and holy and righteous. Everybody else is wrong. And you're so convinced of it that you're willing to lose your journalistic integrity. Because everybody else in journalism is doing it too. And you trust each other not to blow the whistle on each other or to call each other out, which you should be doing, but you're not. When you're pushing a particular agenda, that's not journalism. And just because you believe you're right, just because you believe that you are good and pure and holy, doesn't mean that you are. Over 2,000 years ago, the governor over the province that the Roman emperor named Palestine was a man named Pontius Pilate. When the Jews brought Jesus to Pontius Pilate, he said, I've questioned him. I can't find any crime he has committed. And the angry mob said, crucify him. Because they were so convinced they were right. And so angry about it. To the point that they convinced the governor, who was a former Roman soldier, Theoretically, who had no fear. But when faced with this angry mob that was so passionate and so convinced they were right, Pilate said, fine. I'll wash my hands of the whole thing. And the Bible says that he literally washed his hands. Take him, do with him what you will. Because crucifixion wasn't a Jewish thing. Crucifixion was a Roman thing. That's how the Romans executed people. Not how the Jews executed people. But they were so convinced that they were right that they bullied the Roman governor into handing him over. And public sentiment was turned against Jesus to the point that there was nobody there to defend him. Mary, his mother, and John. 
were there at the foot of the cross. They couldn't stop it. They couldn't have stopped it. Everybody else abandoned him because they were so passionate in the knowledge that they were right, that they were the good, pure, and holy ones. Just like journalists are today. So convinced in what they believe that they will say anything, do anything to make sure that the current regime stays in power. That they can't even bring themselves to going back to being journalists. Because they believe they're right. And see, Jesus tried to tell the people in the Sermon on the Mount, you're not righteous. Here's why. You forgot what righteousness is. Let me explain it to you. That's what the whole Sermon on the Mount was about. You believe you are righteous, and I'm here to tell you you're not. That was the Sermon on the Mount. Journalists believe people who call themselves journalists today have forfeited journalistic integrity because they believe that the message is too important. It's so important that we have to promote one political party over the other because we're the ones who are right. We're the ones who are righteous. We're the ones who are good and pure and holy. No, you're not. And this, boys and girls, is how we take the topic of righteousness, and the topic of journalistic integrity in time together. Thank you for listening. This is my longest podcast to date, and I appreciate you guys listening. I appreciate you downloading. If you like the podcast, go back and listen to some other ones. There are, there are some that are a lot better. They have nothing to do with politics. But I really do appreciate you downloading. Thanks again. And if you like the podcast, you probably have friends who will also like it. So invite all your friends and family to listen and to download. And as long as people keep listening, I'll keep doing them. All right? Thanks again. I'll talk to you next time. Bye now.